Certainly it's good to be with you all tonight. Appreciate the presence of all who are here. I understand there are a lot of visitors here and we're very grateful for that. Uh, but I'm also very grateful for those who are regular members of this congregation to be here tonight to encourage us in what it is what we're trying to do, just simply to glorify the Lord, receive some of his instruction. Certainly as the prayer was indicated, thank you very much, brother, for the prayer. Uh, it just, you know, let's make application possibly in, in our lives if application is indeed need, uh, needs to be made. I'm going to be studying, or at least the beginning of our study this evening, from the 8th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. So if you'd like to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8, we'll begin uh, our, our study there in just a moment. But what I want to do is I just want to pick something out of this chapter uh, that is said in, in, in Matthew 8 and in verse 26. We find Jesus uttering something that was kind of... Uh, kind of interesting for him to utter, and that is he was asking these people, why are you so fearful? Why are you fearful? Now what he was doing with this, when Jesus was asking this question, he was actually giving a pretty pointed rebuke to his disciples. He was really rebuking them for, uh, for their fear, and it was a shocking question. When you begin to really understand the context of this, he asked them, and it was asked in a rebuke, why are you fearful? But when you look at the context of this, it becomes even more interesting. We find in Matthew chapter 8, beginning at verse 23, now when he, that is Jesus, got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Now this, this is said, this event happened immediately after Jesus encountered some people that would uh, kind of be non-committed disciples. You remember the three men that Jesus met. Now Luke really records three. Uh, Matthew just records really one or two. But remember, they, they're sort of uh, wishy-washy in their relationship or their would-be relationship to the Lord. Remember, they had something they wanted to do first. I, first, let me go and bid those farewell in my house. First, let me bury my father. And Jesus was pointing out to them, no, I never come next. You know, you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Uh, and this is, has to be first in our life, even above all of these other relationships. So immediately after that, Jesus and his disciples gets in a boat. And they get in a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and there they encounter uh, this, this, this turbulent storm. Now the Sea of Galilee, I, I don't know if you realize this, uh, Sue and I had an occasion a couple of three years ago to take a trip to Israel, and we're, we're up on the Sea of Galilee for... Uh, a couple of three hours. And what's interesting about the Sea of Galilee, it's shaped like a pear. As a matter of fact, Luke refers to it in his gospel not as a sea, but as a lake, Lake Gennesaret. And the Sea of Galilee, this pear-shaped sea, 13 miles long, simply 8 miles wide, and it's 680 feet below sea level. And what, what you have there in, uh, in that area, you have all of these hills and these mountains and these crevices, and, and, and what happens is they serve as a funnel, and they draw strong winds 
uh, down upon the Sea of Galilee, and so powerful storms can erupt almost instantaneously without warning. And so this is what was happening there on the Sea of Galilee. And what's interesting about that is the terminology that the Holy Spirit uses and inspires Matthew to, to record. He says that there was a great tempest that arose on the sea. Now, say what's interesting about that is the word tempest. Tempest, is, it translates a Greek word, seismos, and it's a shaking and earthquake. Uh, as a matter of fact, this word is found in the Greek New Testament 13 times, and it's, a, it's uh, 14 times, it's translated 13 times as an earthquake. Seismos is a word from which we get the English word seismologist. You know, someone who studies the sudden violent movements of the earth and always connected, or most always connected, with earthquakes. It's the same word that we get seismograph. That is an instrument that records these seismic waves that's caused by earthquakes. So what you have here is a, is a storm that is of great magnitude. It is a dangerous storm. It is a storm that could only be equated to sort of like a mini earthquake here on the Sea of Galilee, and it would have been a very violent, dangerous, and merciless storm. And the context indicates that it happened all of a sudden. And when it happened all of a sudden like that, like storms often do on the Sea of Galilee, when it happened like that, the disciples that were in the boat with Jesus suddenly were seized with fear. It was sort of like an, uh, you know, a panic attack that they had. And they really believed that they were going to drown, that they were going to die at that particular time. And so they cry out to the Lord. They cry out to the Lord, Lord, you, something's going to have to be done here. And then Jesus rebukes them and says, Why are you fearful? You know, that's kind of an interesting question considering the context of this. And you know what? I've got to tell you something. Fear is something that I think all of us understand to one degree or another. Fear is, is a strong emotion. And sometimes it manifests itself in a panic attack. Sometimes it manifests itself in a sudden seizure of anxiety. When something very suddenly happens to us, you know, like that phone call that we might get at 3 o'clock in the morning, waking us from a deep sleep, and we know this can't be good. And so we're kind of seized with fear. And there are other times, you know, that fear is kind of used uh, in a way as a defense mechanism. Maybe we're fearful of heights, and so that causes us to be very cautious. Or we're fearful of, uh, of venomous snakes. And so again, we're, we're, we're very cautious and we're very careful in, in, in that regard. So if you get the idea here, that we, we can kind of mix these up. So there's cautious fear and then there's anxiety fear that Jesus is discussing here in this particular context. And he's rebuking these disciples for that anxiety fear. This sudden fear that they have at this storm. And we're going to talk about that in the course of our study. But he asked the question, why are you fearful? And I want you to know, that is a very relevant question. That is a question that is so apropos even today as it was in the first century. 
it is as applicable to you and to me as 21st century Christians as it was to these disciples. And I say that for a number of reasons, not the least of which are all of the times in the New Testament that we're warned about this kind of anxiety and this kind of fear. Matthew 10 and verse 31, Jesus said, Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than the sparrows. Do we not understand that these are said in the context of being mandates? I mean, this, Jesus is not offering us a suggestion here. He's telling us, such as in John 14 and verse 27, Let not your heart be troubled, troubled, neither let it be afraid. Matthew 6 and verse 25, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. And I say to you, Matthew 10 and verse 28, My friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. You know, when you've you got to think about something. Of all of the commands that Jesus uttered, and all of the commands that Jesus gives in the New Testament, my friends, this one, be not afraid, occupies first place insofar as quantity is concerned. Did you know that? Jesus said, as a matter of fact, in many places, such as he did in Matthew 14 and verse 27, it is I, do not be afraid. Well, if that's the case... If Jesus tells us, if it's commanded so many times in the New Testament, as many times as it is quantitatively, it's more than any other command. So why are we afraid? Why are disciples so seized and petrified by fear and by dread? Even though we know what the commands of the Lord are, and even though we even realize, because of medical science, what this anxiety will do to us. You know, you, you don't ever hear anybody say, well, you know what? My anxieties just put so much happiness in my life. We don't ever say that. Never, never do we say that. And we don't say, well, you know, we don't go visit the doctor and come back and say, well, you know, my doctor tells me I need to begin worrying a whole lot so I can lower my blood pressure. We don't say things like because we know what's connected to that insofar as physical health is concerned. And then we see what the commands of the Lord are. You know, it is I be not afraid. So, so why is it that so many of us live our lives petrified, live our lives afraid? Why are we fearful? I want to deal with that. I want to deal with it from the standpoint of perhaps why we are so fearful despite what the Lord says. And then as we conclude our study, I want to show you what we can do about it from the teaching of God's Word. In the first place, I believe that we are so fearful because we have unrealistic expectations. These are some of the things that we've kind of touched upon in the course of this a uh, series of meetings already a time or two even yesterday. But we have expectations that are not grounded in Scripture. Let me show you what I mean by that. Let's go back to our text. Matthew chapter 8, and we'll, get, we'll, we'll read verses 23 and 24 together, and then we'll stop and make an interesting application. Now when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him, and suddenly, now let me stop right there. And suddenly, you know what we sometimes expect 
that should be written after the word suddenly. And suddenly, the sun came out and the wind was calm and all was peaceful. Or we might read it like this. Well, we, we followed him and suddenly... You know, everything came up wonderfully well. We had health and we had prosperity and we all lived happily ever after. Those are the expectations that we have. But the reality is, even though we are followers of Christ, it may be that in our lives, suddenly a great storm will arise. This is, how, this is what reality is. And we needn't have unrealistic expectations. We're going to deal with difficult situations in life. This is something we have to recognize. You know, we can't be like, we can't be like the disciples one time. You remember John chapter 9 and verse 1 when Jesus and the disciples were walking by, saw a man sitting here that was blind from birth. And you know what the disciples asked him? The disciples asked Jesus, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Why is this happening to him? It shouldn't happen to him if he's a good person. Somebody must have sinned, either this man or his parents. Now, I just always wondered how this man could have sinned before he was even born, if he was born blind. And then there is what the devil said in the first chapter of the book of Job. You know, God said to the devil, Have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him. On the face of that, you know what, when God says that about you, you know, that pretty elevates you pretty highly. And so God said about his servant Job, there's, there's, there's none like my servant Job. Have you, have you considered him? And here's what the devil said. In Job chapter 1 and verse 10, have you not made a hedge around him? And around his household? Around everything that he has on every side, you've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land, but now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. You know what the devil is saying? God, let a storm suddenly come upon him. Let a storm, but I'll tell you, boy, a storm came upon him, the loss of his children, the loss of his wealth, the loss of his health, the loss of the understanding of his wife. All of these things happened to him, yet Job did not curse God. And you know, you, you read throughout the book of Job, and I'm going to tell you something. The book of Job is not a book about suffering. Oh yes, it's filled with suffering. It's filled with the suffering of Job. But do you know what the theme of the book is? Oh, I know that James talks about the patience of Job. I understand that, and there's a lot we can get from that. But when I read the book of Job, I see the story of a man's faith. And I see the faith of Job that even during his suffering, he would, even though there was no hedge about him, he would not. He would not curse God, and he proved that God does not have to bribe us to serve him. Now, when we begin to see these issues that happen in our lives, if we have the expectation that, hey, you know, now that I'm a Christian, I'm inoculated from all of the problems of life, then when these problems begin to happen, we're going to be filled with anxiety and concern, doubt, grief, and just all kinds of things are going to strike us. But these things are going to happen to us. Problems and storms in our lives are going to happen. You know, John 16, 33, we mentioned yesterday, you know, Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, and we will. We're going to get sick. 
We're going to bury a loved one. We'll lose our job. We're going to be betrayed by something. These things are going to happen. And if I serve God thinking that I'm going to have a hedge put about me, then I'm wrong. And I think sometimes we have unrealistic expectations and that causes us to be afraid. That causes us to be filled with anxiety. But I think there's another reason. I think we've misperceived or misunderstood, misunderstood our fears. You remember just a while ago I was talking about the difference. The difference in a cautious fear and a, an anxiety fear that Jesus is condemning here. We've got to understand the differences and we can't conflate these. We, we can't get these mixed up. Because one is part of life and one is that which is forbidden by the Lord. And I think sometimes what we do is we, we're very good at giving lip service to passages such as John 14 and verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Oh, I, yeah, I, I believe that. I, I believe, I, yeah, I, you let not, but you know, but you know, the reality of it is we are troubled. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. And, 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 and Paul tells Timothy, 2 Timothy 1 and verse 5, he said, God has not given us, the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear. Well, what he does is he gives us the spirit of power, the spirit of love, and the spirit of a sound, sober mind. These are the things that God has given to us. God has not given us a spirit of fear. And we say, yeah, I understand that, but you know what? I, 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 I still get afraid. I still have these fears. Well, what we're doing is sometimes we look at the things that we are cautious about and we want to say, well, I, I, I'm this way, so that means that I can be filled with anxiety. That, that, that means that I can, I, I, I can disobey what the Lord said about be not afraid. But you see, what we've got to do is we have to separate those. We have to see what, the, what, what, what we're dealing with here. You know, so I tell people, you know, one size don't always fit everything. We have to look at the context. Now think about this. Let, let's think about this idea of a seizing of fear. Remember, we, we, we talked about King Hezekiah yesterday. In, in 2 Kings chapters 18 and 19, we read about the threat that came to King Hezekiah and Judah and Jerusalem from Sennacherib, king of Assyria. We, we saw about that. And, and, and the Bible tells us that, that, that Hezekiah and, 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 and the people of Jerusalem were all seized with fear. They were seized with fear as a result of the threat that the Assyrians were issuing. So they were cowering in fear. What are we going to do? We're the people of God. What are we going to do? And so they were just seized with fear. Now, set that aside for just a moment. And let's go to the New Testament and let's notice what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 28. Paul said that he had a deep concern for the churches. And if you want to know what he means by that, just consider what he said to the Galatians in Galatians 4 and verse 11. He said, I am afraid for you. That is, I fear for you. And what Paul is talking about is he was concerned he had a, a fearful concern for these people. He had a fearful concern for the churches. And so while there are things that we can have concerns about, we can't allow that to cause us to slip into being afraid where Jesus said, do not be afraid. What I mean by that is, you know, Christians should 
and I do, and I know you do as well, we lock our doors at night. And we do that out of a concern for safety. We're concerned about nutrition, and so we eat right. We're concerned about our health driving down the highway, so we fasten seat belts. These are fearful concerns, and this is something that, 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 that is just part of life. We're concerned about health, we visit the doctor. The, you know, these are, these are concerns that we, that we have, genuine concerns. And, and I'll tell you what, I, I, I'm, I'm just like you. I'm genuinely concerned about those things. I'm genuinely concerned about my family. I'm genuinely concerned about the condition of the well-being of the church. I, I'm certainly concerned about the, 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 the nation in which we live. I'm concerned about the souls of the lost in this community and other communities. I'm really concerned for those things. But that doesn't mean that I am to be seized with fear and go to my room and lock my doors and just pull the world down over me. No, when I have a concern, you know what I do? I address that concern. If I have a concern on the condition of the church, you know what I do? What I do is I, you know, I, I, I do what I can. I supply what part I can. If I'm concerned about the lost, you know what I do? I try to teach the lost. If I'm concerned about the future of this nation, I try to be the best citizen that I can be. And so these are things that we have concerns about. But what I won't do, and what I'm encouraging you not to do, is rationalize the sin of fear that God tells us not to have, don't, don't rationalize this and say that's the same as my concern for these things. Fear and anxiety that Jesus is talking about, ladies and gentlemen, demonstrates a lack of trust in the power and in the providence of God. Here's what, here's what the Bible says. In Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 2, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and, do, and not be afraid. You know what Hezekiah and the people did? When they cowered in fear, they were told by Isaiah, stop it. And they went into the temple after God had told them, do not be afraid. It moved beyond concern and they were doubting the power and the providence and the protection of God. God said, this is not what you're to do. I love what the Apostle Paul said in writing to the Philippians. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter, you know, every time I read this passage, I can't think, I can't help but think of a grandson of mine. A few years ago, Sue and I took several of our grandsons to Kings Island for a day. And we had temporary insanity, you know, two old people doing that for grandson, I'm going to tell you. That, but that's, that's something I remember. We went out to the van in the parking lot to eat lunch. You take all these hungry kids there, you don't buy them something there, you, you take it with you stacks of peanut butter sandwiches. So we took, we sat down in the van, we, we were eating, I could hear the grandson sitting in the back and they were arguing with one another. And I'm trying to eavesdrop, you know, find out what they're arguing about. And, 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 and so they were arguing about which passage in the scripture was their favorites. And all. Well, mine's this, mine's that, mine's this, mine's that. And so one of my grandsons, Jonah, he, he, he said, Granddad, he said, I'm gonna ask you, he said, what is your favorite passage in the Bible? What is your favorite verse? And I said, well, let me, let me study on that a minute. I said, what's yours? And I wasn't surprised. He said, well, John 3, 16. I said, well, can you, can you quote that? 
And he did. And I said, that's pretty good. He said, now you tell me. Well, what is your favorite verse? And I said, well, I, my, mine is here in, in, in Philippians chapter 4, where Paul says, beginning at verse 6, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Do you notice nothing is a compound word? No thing. No thing. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And I said, I would include with that verse 7 that says, In the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He said, Granddad, what does that mean? I don't think I understand that. And I said, Jonah, don't worry about it because there's a whole lot of adult Christians that don't understand that. Be anxious for nothing. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't have concern about the things that I'm talking about. But what I'm saying is we don't live a life seized with fear. I'll be cautious, yes. But I'll trust in the grace and the goodness of God. And I will place all of my burdens upon Him. Psalm 118 and verse 6. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do to me. And I'll tell you, it's like we studied yesterday. The apostles did not cower in fear when they were threatened. They were threatened again in Acts chapter 5. And in verse 29, they declared, we, you know what, we, we must obey God rather than men when they were told not to preach anymore. Paul went to the city of Corinth. And you know what Jesus said to him in Acts chapter 18 and verse 9? He said, do not be afraid, Paul. Well, why was he not to be afraid? That was a wicked place. And he went in uh, basically alone to preach the gospel to some of the most wicked people upon the face of the earth. Because Jesus told him in verse 10, I will be with you. You don't have any reason to be afraid because I will be with you. Psalm 112, verses 6 through 8, The righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. He will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast. Doing what? Trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He will not be afraid. Ladies and gentlemen, hear me. We've got to resist the urge to tremble when we receive tidings of plagues and persecutions and problems in life. We can't wring our hands in desperation. We serve a risen Savior and a powerful, almighty God. Like Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 10, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions in distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. Let's not confuse concern for anxiety or fear that, Paul is, uh, that Jesus is forbidding us. But there's another reason that we sometimes are fearful. And that is we know in our heart of hearts that we have secret and hidden sins. You know, Jesus said in John 14 and verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I'm going to tell you something. You know, you know, you know whether you're keeping the commandments of God. You know. Now, I may not. Nobody else around you may not know. Uh, but I'll tell you what, you know, because Paul said in Romans 8 and verse, 8, or verse 16, that the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You know what that means? That means the revelation of the Holy Spirit of God, the Word of God, bears witness with our spirit. I know in my spirit, in my mind, whether I am living my life comported with the Word of God. I know that. I know that. And when I'm not living my life the way that I should, then it causes me to be afraid. 
it causes me to have some anxiety. And when I hear sermons that, that are addressing my particular sin or my particular problem, you know what? It causes me some angst. It causes me some fear. It causes me some anxiety. And there are many of us, my friends, many of us who are professing to be Christians. We know and we understand that we're not living the way that we should. We're not living as we should at home. We're not living as we should on the job. We know that. The language that we use, the Spirit of God has already borne witness that it needs to be cleaned up. We know we haven't done that. And so it causes us to be afraid. Listen. Listen to how, how it's put in Isaiah chapter 57. It says in verses 20 through 21, But the wicked are like the troubled sea. When it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. And he concludes with this profound statement, There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. And we know whether or not we're living in a way that pleases God. We know that. Because His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God or we are not living as the children of God. Listen to what John said in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 17. He said, love has been perfected among us in this. And I believe he's talking about the love that we have not only for one another, but the love that we have for God. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness. Boldness in the day of judgment. Not, not, not fear. Not, not, not anxiety. Not worried about what the Lord is going to say. But we have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is... So are we in this world. Ah, now listen. There is no fear in love. The love of God. You love me, you'll keep my commandments. Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If I'm anxious about judgment, if I am fearful of death, if I am afraid of being exposed, then we know the reason for our anxiety. And it is that there are sins in our life, perhaps hidden sins, that need to be repented of and need to be walked away from. But another reason, another reason why we Fear when we're told not to fear is because we have little or no faith. I, I, you know, I got to tell you, if that were just me saying that as, as a mere man, as a mere mortal, I think I would be out of place to say that. But it was our Lord who made that remark. Remember Mount Mark, Matthew chapter 8? Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Now Mark's account in the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Mark, it carries just a little bit more weight than even what Matthew's account carries. He said to them in verse 40 of Mark chapter 4, Why are you so fearful? The same event. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Now I'm going to tell you, that is a powerful and a strong rebuke that the Lord gives. It is a stern rebuke. 
Why, why are you, you're, you're, why are you fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Now, now why, why would he be, why would he be that bold? Well, why would the Lord say that? After all, this, this storm, I mean, it suddenly came up and the boat is giving it this and taking on water and all of these other things and, and my goodness, we're, we're about to drown. This boat's liable to tip over. Why would he rebuke somebody who's just suddenly seized with panic over the condition of this boat? Well, I tell you what, if we look at the context of this, we get a glimpse of why. I want you to notice back in verse 35 of Mark chapter 4. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had let the, left the multitude, they took him along in, in, in a boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat on the boat so that it was already filling. And he was asleep in the stern. Did you, get to, did you catch that? Jesus said at the very outset, Let us cross over to the other side. Let us cross over to the other side. The Son of God. The Son of God said, we're going from this side to that side. Here was God in human flesh said, we're going to the other side. We're going to get in this boat and we're going to the other side. And I want to tell you, my friends, there's no storm on the face of this earth that could have sunk that boat. If the Lord said, we're going there, that's where they're going. But you know what they did? They doubted that. They became afraid. They were seized with fear and panic. And Jesus said, here's what the problem is, fellas. You forgot what I told you. I told you we're going to the other side. How is it you have no faith? You know, I'm reminded of another ship that was undergoing severe, or was involved in a severe storm in Matthew chapter, I mean in Acts chapter 27. In Acts chapter 27, we find the Apostle Paul on his way to Rome. And while he was on this ship on his way to Rome, making his appeal to Caesar, there was another storm that happened. This was a perfect storm. We find in verse 13 of Acts chapter 27, when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to the sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called a Euroclidon. That's a word that from which we get the same idea of a typhoon. They were on the Mediterranean Sea, and they underwent 14 days of storm. They did everything. They tightened the hull. They lightened the ship. They did everything they could to keep that thing from sinking. And finally, they said in verse 20, it felt like all hope was gone. Acts 27 and verse 20. Many of them had finally just given up. After two weeks of this, nothing's going nothing's to save us. But after a long absence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Man, you should have listened to me. He told them not to sail. And have not sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. But now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of ship, no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For there stood by me, listen to him. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. Do not be afraid, Paul. Do not be afraid. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you and all those who sail with you. God had already told them this way back in the day. And God is going to bring you before Caesar. God has granted you and all those who sail with you 
Therefore take heart, men. Now notice what he said. For I believe God that it will be just as he, it was told me. Now you notice what he said? He didn't say, I believe in God. He didn't say that. Because there are a lot of people who believe in God, but they do not believe God. And there is a world of difference in believing in God and believing God. Paul not only believed in the God whom he served, he said, I believe God. I believe every word that he says. And when God says we're going to make it to Rome, I believe God, and indeed they made it to Rome. When God makes a promise, what we've got to understand is he's going to fulfill that promise. And we've got to trust that promise, and we'll get into that more in just a moment. But fear and anxiety and hysteria do not come from God. It comes from, they come from the cares of this world. Trials are going to come knocking on our door, that's for sure. But you know what, they're, what those trials are wanting is you to let fear come in. And you can't do that. Fear and faith cannot coexist. Fear will diminish faith and faith will diminish fear. When things begin to happen, we have to say, I, you know, I believe God. I believe God it will be just as he told me. Well, now how do we conquer our fears? How do we overcome them? Well, I, I, I want to tell you, I, I think the best place to begin to break up our fears is where we just left off. Let's develop a deep and an abiding faith in God. No matter what it is that we're experiencing, no matter what it is that's going on in our lives, let's have a deep and an abiding and a lasting and a real faith in Almighty God. Let your conduct, Hebrews 13 and verse 5 says, be without covetousness, be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I believe God. It will be just as he told me. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Paul, the writer goes on to say, So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. Fear will suck the life out of us. It will suck the spiritual life out of us. It will imprison us. It will cause us to be miserable. It will cause us to be so unhappy that we have no desire. To serve the Lord. Isaiah writes in Isaiah 43. He said in verse 1. Middle part of verse 1 into verse 2. He said fear not. Fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through waters I will be with you. And through the rivers they shall not overflow you. I believe God. It will be just as he told me. You know, we're to walk by faith and not by sight. Can I alter that just a little bit? We're to walk by faith and not by fear. We're, we're to heed the words that Jesus said to the man whose daughter, he just got word that his daughter had died. Mark chapter 5, verses 35 and 36. He said, do not be afraid, only believe. We overcome our faith, our fears by our faith. Secondly, we need to have a steadfast trust in the promises that God has made. Have you considered some of the promises of God? 
Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Verse 34 says, it's Matthew 6 and verse 33. Verse 34 says, therefore do not worry. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his promise. Romans 8 and verse 28. Hebrews 4 and verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. These are the promises of God and they're sure. And if we just simply have the attitude of the Apostle Paul, I believe God, it will be just as he told me. You know, the promises of God are in him, yes. 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 20. Do You fill your heart with the word of God. You meditate on his promises. You live in this atmosphere of hope. We're saved in hope. Hebrews 8 and verse 20, uh, Romans 8 and verse 20 said, we're saved in this hope. And so this is the atmosphere in which a Christian lives. I live in this hope. And, so, and thirdly, what you need to do and what I need to do is have a clear memory of his past provisions. Fear gives us spiritual amnesia. You know, those disciples were in the boat when that storm was, ra was raging. And, you know, we're reading from Mark's account a while ago in Mark chapter 4. And, and did you notice what they asked Jesus when they, woke, when, when they awakened him? With this great windstorm and he was asleep in the stern, they, awoke, well, they woke him up and here's what they said to him in verse 38. Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? They didn't ask him, do you have the power to do this? They didn't say, are you experienced in calming storms? They had seen his miracles before. They had seen the blind man healed. They had seen the water turned to wine. They had seen a lot of miracles that Jesus had performed. And they didn't question his, his, his miraculous ability. They questioned his integrity. They questioned his compassion. Lord, don't you care that we're about to drown? And this is how we are sometimes. We, we question the compassion of the Lord. Lord, don't you care that I'm going through these things? That's what Mary and Martha asked in John 11 when their brother died. Jesus, have you been here? Our brother would not have died. And don't you care? You see, this is the way we respond so many times. But we cannot question the Lord's compassion. We can't forget all of the providential care that he's given to us in the past. Think of the times that we prayed and those prayers have been answered. Think of the good things that He has blessed us with. Think of all the wonderful promises that we've had and we've claimed in our lives. And yet something happens in our life and we suddenly are filled with anxiety and we forgot all about the providential care of God. There are going to be storms, there are going to be stresses, hurts, and hardships. But remember this, John 6 and verse 20, It is I. Do not be afraid. And finally, you need to have a firm acceptance of what God's will is in your life. I, I, I believe the template that we need to follow was first shown by our Lord when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26 and verse 39. Not my will, but your will be done. We have to pray according to his will, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14. And I have to accept whatever he, his will is. And if I have the faith and I have the determination and I have the, uh, the trust to accept his will in my life, whatever that will is, then I'm going to find peace. I'll not find anxiety. I'm going to find comfort. I will not 
be subject to panic because I know that my life is in the hands of God. And it may be that the storm clouds will never give way to the morning sun. It may be that one day I have to drink that bitter cup that hasn't been removed. But if that's the will of God, that is His will. And I will accept it. Thy will be done and not mine. You want to be able to overcome your anxieties. You want to be able to overcome your fears. Have a deep abiding faith in God. Trust in His promises steadfastly. Have a clear memory of all the good things that God has provided. And then have a firm acceptance of His will. Then I can have the peace that passes all understanding. One thing we need to realize is that the work of Jesus was absolutely astounding. When He came and offered Himself as a perfect sacrifice on Calvary's cross. Inasmuch, Hebrews 2 and verse 14, then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, He Himself likewise shared in the same, that through death He might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Let me ask you tonight, don't you want to be released from the fear that has enslaved you, that has imprisoned you, the fear of judgment, the fear of death, the fear of being exposed? Don't you want to set those things aside? You can. You can come to the Lord and have all of your sins forgiven and have the hope of heaven. If you believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, repent of your sins, turn from them, confess your faith that Jesus is God's Son, the Messiah, the Anointed One who came to save the world. Believe that, trust Him, be baptized in water today for the remission of your sins, be raised to walk in a newness of life. And I'll tell you what, if you will live a life of faith, if you'll walk by faith, then you'll not walk by fear. He will release you from that fear. He can do it if you will just simply surrender to Him and to His will. If you're subject to the good Lord's invitation, we certainly urge you right now to come. As together, we'll stand and sing this song of invitation.